Growing can be quite the process, can it? It can be painful and long, but to become a truly great human being, growth is necessary. We all must grow. God never expects you to grow on your own. In fact, He values you, He sees you as worthy, and He rejoices over the very thought of the growth that is taking place in you. God's opinion of you is that His seed of greatness is evident in your life. When God looks at you, He sees the potential for greatness. This is a jolt of joy on the Charisma Podcast Network, and I am your host, Carol McLeod. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. The word great is used two times in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. We learn so much from this word great, but the thing I want you to remember is that the word gadal in the Hebrew means to bind yourself to God. It means to be twisted together so you cannot determine where you end and where God begins. This word gadal also means to become great or to grow. You know, sometimes greatness doesn't always happen at once, does it? It can be a process and that's okay with God. God is good with process. He is in it for the long haul. And when you falter, when you fall, when you settle for good, rather than for great. Just get right back up and bind yourself to God. Huddle up underneath the presence of God and continue becoming greater than you could ever be on your own. God is nourishing you and training you. And the end result or the expected result is that you become like him. He doesn't ignore you or expect you to do it on your own, but he tenderly takes care of you as a gardener would a young and fragile plant. Another thing that this word great means from the Hebrew word gadal is to be greatly valued or to be celebrated with praise. Did you know that God values you? God's opinion of you is what makes you great. Any thought or opinion that makes you think less of yourself is not from God because God thinks you're great. God says that you're worthy to be celebrated with praise. That's a theme in the Bible. It's not what Carol is speaking to you today, but it's what the Bible says about you. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9, it says, For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good. It's part of God's promise for restoration for his people. He's rejoicing again over you for your good. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 4 says this, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. You know what this tells me? God is lovesick over you. He is head over heels in love with you. And his opinion of you is that you are great. Zephaniah 317 says this, He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. What a great word picture for us. God is in heaven shouting over your life. He is cheering for you. 
My friends, you are great because heaven says you are great. You are great because you are bound together with the Lord. You are great because of the great God who sings over you today. You serve a God who makes much of your life. You are the trophy. You are the greatest part of his creation. Let's keep reading in our story with God and Abram from Genesis chapter 12, verses 3 through 7. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. After God declared this great blessing over Abram, Abram obeyed. He went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And as far as we know, he didn't pause or delay. And then in verse seven, Abram builds an altar to the Lord. Did you know that obedience and worship are closely woven together? After Abram obeyed the Lord, then he built an altar of worship. Great people who worship the Lord also obey him. And the great people in every generation who obey the Lord also worship the Lord. It may be devastating to your life if you try to justify separating the two, obedience and worship. You know, you might be one of those people who worships and sings and dance and shouts and gets on your face, and then you leave his presence and you live any old way you desire. Are you truly worshiping the Lord or are you just performing in his presence? Or you may be one of those people who obey wholeheartedly every day to the letter, to the T, but then never find time for moments of intimacy, for being on your face, for singing a song to him. Is that really obedience? As I study the word of God, I have found that the truly great men and women recorded in the Bible of every historical generation have not only obeyed him, but they have also worshiped the Lord. The truly great men and women of every biblical generation not only worshiped him, but they also obeyed him. Worship and obedience go hand in hand. You cannot do one without the other. Worship and obedience are two of the very basic daily choices you must make to exhibit, to demonstrate the greatness that God has placed inside of you. So let me ask you two questions today. Will you worship God? Will you? Will you worship him in good times and bad, in sunshine and in rain, in pain and in pleasure, when you get your own way and when you don't get your own way? Will you worship him when you're alone at home? Will you worship him wholeheartedly in corporate worship? Will you worship him in abundance 
and in lack, regardless of your circumstances, will you open your mouths? Will you lift your hands and will you worship him? Truly great people worship the Lord. They don't whine or complain or blame or murmur, but they worship him. Question number two for you today, will you obey him? Now, this does include many of the Christian disciplines of our faith, tithing, gathering together in fellowship, serving the body of Christ. But for me, it's more than that. It's watching what I think about and what I talk about. For me, it includes being careful about what I read, how I dress, and how I treat others. Now, this is not legalism, but obedience becomes worship when it's birthed out of love. God may be calling you to a new level of obedience today. He may be asking something of you that you have thought formerly was too hard for you. Do it anyway. Do it because you love him. Do it as an act of worship. And as you worship and as you obey, that declaration of greatness is beginning to grow, to spring forth from the soil of your life. Genesis chapter 12, starting with verse 8. Then Abram proceeded from there to the mountain on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in that land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his his wife, see now, I know that you're a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram. Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then here is your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Abram, one of the greatest men in the Old Testament, made a mistake out of fear. He was afraid that the Egyptians would kill him for his beautiful wife. And so he had Sarai deceive Pharaoh and say she was Abram's sister. Now, let me tell you, she was Abram's half-sister, but she was also his wife. And so Abram made a poor decision, a sinful decision, out of fear. He trusted what he saw rather than what God had said. Abram put trust in humanity rather than in the promises of God. 
Abram thought that he could manipulate future events to his advantage. The only thing that brought peace in this situation to Abram's heart was if he could plan ahead and determine what was best with his man-made plan. I want to tell you something. If your peace is dependent upon your ability to plan ahead, you have it all wrong. If you think that planning ahead and being in charge and determining future events is your ticket to peace, you have it all wrong. God's presence should bring you peace. God's promises should bring you peace. God's character should bring you peace. Thank you for joining me today on A Jolt of Joy. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd like to encourage you to visit my website at www.justjoyministries.com. It is my passion to help people live an abundant life through the power and principles found only in the Word of God. You can contact me at carol at justjoyministries.com. And as always, know that I am praying for you today.